is Short-Term Rental Management. The show that is all about short-term rental property management with your host, yours truly, Luke Carl. Join me live every Thursday for a weekly Q&A all about short-term rental. If you like my vibe, if you're digging the long hair extraordinaire Cashflow Carl and want to ask me questions in real time, Join me at strquestions.com. It's a lot of fun. strquestions.com. Here we are. Here we are. Short-term rental management. I've got two rock stars. It's an honor to be here in a room with such good-looking, awesome people. Um, (laughs) And today we're going to recap numbers of 23, maybe throw a little 22 in there for fun and talk about uh, the future and what we think things are going to look like. Uh, especially in the, the the world of numbers and spreadsheets. And, of course, we have Dave Meyer, who's the number guy. Dave, you want to say hey? Hi, everyone. Thanks so much for having me. It's I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. And and Avery, who is uh, the one and only Avery, uh, who's, you know, the biggest, uh, baddest short-term rental real estate agent on the planet. So, <laughs> Avery, say hello. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me, Luke. <laughs> it's my pleasure. I'm not exactly sure. I still think maybe you're having me, but that's okay. Um, so I guess, uh, Dave, I'll start with you. If you can give me kind of, uh, you know, your spiel on 23, how you felt along the way, um, as far as rents and, uh, maybe gross, gross rents and, and, and such. Yeah. 23 was a, a surprising year for me. I, I felt when we were heading into the beginning of this past year that, the modest correction that started at the end of 2022 was going to continue. And I've never been a home crash person. I've been pretty adamant that I felt like there was a very strong floor to the housing market, but I thought we'd see declines of two or 3%, something like that this year. And instead we saw growth of two or 3% in housing prices. So we can get into that, but I was surprised by that. And the same thing sort of goes true with, with rent. Um, rents have come down in terms of their growth rate. So they're no longer growing 15% a year, but that's good. That that was very unusual. And rents actually grew about 5% in 2023, which is above average. Normally rents grow around two or 3% a year. And so both of these things, uh, I, I didn't expect rents to fall, but I think the housing market and the rental market showed a lot of resilience. And, you know, I'm not as, I don't have as big an expertise in the short-term rental space as you two. Um, but from what I understand, um, revenue from short-term rentals, we're down a little bit, but that's really from peak uh, uh, times and are still up well above pre-pandemic levels. Yeah, it was it was a different difficult thing to gauge, quite frankly. This twenty three because we came off of this uh, this this twenty two, which was you know I mean, it was a unicorn. It was crazy. It was insane. I'm actually noticing it in all facets of life right now. I ordered uh, some things on Instacart this morning, and the price tag it was, uh, I think it was a shampoo, as a matter of fact, and the price tag was outrageous. And I, I you know. <laughs> I'm not really an expensive shampoo kind of guy. So it was, it blew my mind and I'm sitting there like, well, this is, I think this is just real now. This is just reality. This $30 bottle of whatever from the grocery store. Whoa, that must be nice shampoo. I don't know what it was to be honest, but it was expensive. (laughs) And uh, yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, I, you do hear a lot of the, uh, the, the down 
rates in in short term and 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 I think a lot of that had to do with the, the saturation term that everybody loves to use all the time. And and I did see a lot of that, you know, where a lot of folks seem to have gotten in uh in the past year and a half, two years. But I mean, I'm not seeing it in my rents. That's the only thing I, you know, all I can do is talk about actual historical data from, from my portfolio. And I just did an update on my numbers, which again, it's, you know, I don't have an actual full on end of year number just yet, but uh, I'm literally neck and neck. I mean, we're talking minuscule amount of difference and it is a slight uh, decrease from 22, 23 to 22. But I mean, like 0.04% across my- No, that doesn't count. Yeah, yeah no, it doesn't <laughs> count. So I basically broke even, right? Which I'm extremely yeah. happy with that. I was planning totally. uh, five to 7% decrease in 23. And now that it's over, I'm sitting here like, what is everybody talking about? I don't, I didn't have any, you know, and, it, and I didn't feel like I really worked any harder or there was any really, any differences. I certainly don't pay any more attention than I used to. Of course, I've been doing this a long time. Uh, Avery, what Can did I you have? Yeah. Okay. I was going to say, I'm going to interrupt you. Otherwise you're just going to keep going and never yeah. stop. Well, you do, know. You, <laughs> do you think that that's because of the type of markets that you own in purposely though? Because real estate, whether it's, whether it's short-term rentals, long-term rentals or sales really is more of like a regional thing than it is across the board. So, you know, what we saw, I, I think that the way we've invested in short-term rentals has been like a pretty, uh, cautious way to do it, like only in areas where it's been allowed and been, you know, the economies of the areas have been dependent on it since, you know, the sixties, but, you know, maybe if people invested in metro markets like Dallas, for example, where it has been outlawed or, you know, I, I think that there's different types of markets that probably saw different things this year from that. To answer your question briefly. Yes. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, I, and I've heard you say this many, many times. So it's difficult. We're married, by the way. If anybody didn't realize that, <laughs> it's just difficult for me to. But, but yes, I, I guess in my perspective, it's it's like, well, why wouldn't my properties do well? I mean, uh, first of all, I've had them for a really long time. I have more reviews than anybody, and I'm in towns mm -hmm. that nobody does anything but go on vacation. I don't have any short term. You know, I'm not vacate. I'm not short terming in Cleveland. I'm short terming in towns where nobody lives and people go on vacation, you know? So yes, I do. I think that the market is huge, obviously, uh, but even more so for me personally, just from the landlord side of things, the uh, longevity of my properties has been huge, I think. Uh, and I, it's very easy for me to come up number one or number, you know, two or three or first page for sure on a search for anybody looking for a property to rent in one of my markets, because I have so many damn reviews and I have, smoking good reviews, which is, you know, it's a huge part of the vacation rental space. Uh, it's the biggest downside, quite frankly, in my opinion, uh, compared to long terms. But as time goes by, I guess since we've been in this space so long, I, I, I feel like I don't need to think or worry about that stuff as much as the average Joe who's brand new and not only nervous because they're brand new, but also don't have the reviews to kind of, you know, boost their, their, uh, mm -hmm. you know, so yeah. answer. I also question. think I think another a thing that that matters here is people like me come out onto these shows and quote averages and averages have their use, but they don't really tell a full story about what's going on. And from my understanding, if you dig deeper into the data and just have 
conversations with people, the people who are doing well are still doing well. And, and the people who have really good quality properties that are going to be desirable, even if some demand gets pulled out of the market, are still doing well. And I think if you dig into that, that, that makes a lot of sense, right? Like we saw this gold rush in short-term rentals where people were getting in, not everyone was necessarily good at it. And it's becoming a more efficient market, just like any other asset class becomes an efficient market. Like the cream will always rise to the top. And for a while, short-term rentals was in a stage where you could just throw some money at it and you would probably do well. And now we're just reverting back to, I think, a much more normal market. And if you look at revenue for people who, like you said, Luke, have good reviews and are quality operators, I bet it's not all that impacted by what's happened in the last year. Where do you think that comes from, Avery? Where where do we where are we finding these people that are complaining that their numbers are down and, and what, what can they do to, <clears throat> oh, to fix I, that? Because I can tell you. I my numbers you. are not down. So I don't even, you know, go ahead. Um, yeah. So I think there's there's two main types uh, that we see coming saying like, oh, I want to sell. And it's the type that just saw the interest rates in 2021 and 22 and said, oh man, the mortgage on a beach house is going to be how much I can get that. And I'll just put it on Airbnb and make a bunch of money when I'm not using it. And so the people who truly weren't looking at it like a business, they were kind of looking at it like a toy that they could make money with. And, uh, when it came time to actually run the business, maybe we're like, oh crap. Yeah this is a business and and now we're not really doing so great with it. The other type um, I think are the buyers who, who really, really, really wanted to get a property back then, but maybe weren't in a financial position to really be able to do so in that competitive of a market. So they bought something a little too far away from the attractions and it worked in the boom. But now that we're back to being more of an efficient market, as Dave said, those things that are a little too far away aren't working as well. So that, and then uh, we we did see a fair amount of, of over leverage. Though, mm. So I guess there's three types. So we've definitely seen people who did really, really well with one and then scaled to two or three really quickly just off of equity of the other ones. And then if they made one wrong decision or had one property that might've been too far away, or maybe they didn't run the numbers great on, or maybe you know they didn't for some reason, it hasn't performed the way they wanted it to. It kind of knocks down the entire house of cards. So I would say those are the three, the three types that we see of saying like, "Hey, you know what? I think think we might need to sell this thing now." When you say over leverage, uh, what what are you saying most often when you, are you refinancing the first one or something? Yeah, yeah. So I think a lot of influencers out there will. And I've seen the same format across multiple influencers where they'll say, hey, look at this house that I bought for 400000 in 2017. I just pulled 600000 out of it to buy 17 more. And I know that that first house is, there's no way it's cash flowing anymore. So what they right. do is they'll Correct. leverage, yeah, they'll leverage themselves into a thousand properties doing that, but then none of them are cash flowing and they're like, now what do I do? So uh, I saw lots and lots of influencers doing that over the past few years, saying like, "Oh, look at the power of real estate." I, you know, I put down forty thousand on this four hundred thousand dollar property, and I just pulled out six hundred from it. Uh, yeah. And you know, I think that got people behaving in a little bit of a um, irresponsible way. But Dave, did you 
Have something. Are those the same influencers who say that they own like 10,000 units because they participate in like three syndications? (laughs) I think those are different ones, actually. (laughs) Well, yeah, I I agree. I I think it's it's very dangerous to look at what those people do. And I I think it's a it's a common example. People are just trying to scale and, and get latch on to that rapidly appreciating equity um, at the expense of cash flow and that can over over leverage you. I think just the other thing we were talking about with what properties are doing well and poorly is my, I, this is just personal philosophy about real estate is like the reason I only try to buy things that are B class or higher, whether short-term or long-term is because during difficult times, there's this, people call it like the cannibalization of the market where basically if there's less renters or there's less guests, like people who have nice properties can always lower their rates and keep their place filled. But if you have something on the lower end of the spectrum, there's nothing you can do. Like all of a sudden now people who have nicer places than you are competing with you on price and you can't do anything because you can't make yours any cheaper. You could make yours cheaper, but that's probably not going to be super effective. And you're just still offering something that's not as nice. And so I think there's probably continued strength in places that have the best amenities that are really nice and where the owners have some flexibility on price to just maintain their occupancy rates. Whereas, you know, these less nice properties, um, they do fill an important part of the market, but they get jammed a little bit during economic difficult, economic difficulty. Well, it's great to hear you say that because when it comes to my long-term rentals, I do, I do, I like that sweet spot of, ah, you know, 13, $1,400 a month, where I can get, you know, somebody that is a contributing member of society and I can give them a really nice home to live in with granite and stainless. And there's a decent chance at that price range, they're not going to completely tear it up. And that's my bread and butter. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. My peers actually look at me like I'm crazy. They're like, you're putting those countertops in in a rental house. And I'm like, dude, they're really not that much more than the, (laughs) you know, I mean, yeah. uh, And they'll last a lot longer, uh, stand up to anything, but a hammer pretty much, you know, but, um, (laughs) And it's interesting you mentioned that again back to the short term thing because I, I did. Here's another thing I saw uh, in 23 was these amenities are coming out of the woodwork, and it seems like these folks are trying to compensate in some way. Like they just, I mean, massive amount of amenities on these houses that, uh, in my experience, it's not really that necessary. Is an old Avery quote from years ago: "Cute, clean, and comfortable." And, and to me, that's, again, that's my bread and butter. Yes, I have a nice coffee station. I've got, you know, uh, uh, an espresso machine and I've got, uh, you know, kitchen gadgets and stuff. And, and of course my house is, I've got, I've got very nice sheets and towels, but I'm not going over the top with this craziness that you're seeing in these, these big expensive homes at this point. And it's nice to hear you say that. So um, uh, Avery, are you, what do you think there are people over amenitizing? Is that a word? Um, it is now, <laughs> Yeah, I guess so. you know, I haven't really seen too much of that. Uh, I have seen people putting in pickleball courts, like Rob Abasolo just put in a pickleball mm-hmm. court, like but it that. has, it has made uh, like, that has been Not something bad. that I think has really, Oh, you have, do you have data on that? No, I've just, I've always wanted to do it. I just think like, I can't imagine building a pickleball court is that expensive. It can't be, right? 
Yeah. And I would imagine it would really draw. It's like the, you know, the hot tub thing. Like I, I own a short term rental in a, in a, um, a ski town. Like you have to have a, a, a hot tub. It like attracts, they've proven that it it, it is worth <laughs> the investment. And I would think a pickleball court might do it in Florida, something like that. People love yeah. it. He, he mentioned the number on the pod. He was on an episode of my podcast recently, so I can't remember the number, but it's on there. He talked about it, but uh, I haven't seen anybody really do anything that has been over amenitizing. I don't think. Um, so no, okay. I guess the answer I'm to that's no. <laughs> I'm seeing it. You know, your, your clients, your lovely oh. clients, they come to me and, and they, they almost, it's almost like they feel like they need a helicopter pad on their roof at this point <laughs> to get bookings. And I'm here to tell you, you don't, my numbers again, I'm literally neck and neck. I'm within a couple of grand across my entire portfolio. Uh, for the past two years. And and I don't have any of that crazy stuff. I just try to be as, as hospitable as I possibly can. And, and again, uh, years is ago, it your location it, too? Like, oh, is your absolutely. location really good? Yeah. I feel like that's ultimately what people yeah, want. We do have good locations. And again, back to the location thing, like we're seeing people, you know, uh, okay. I, I do have a fourth type who has come to us with problems. So uh, there's a lot of lists that will come out. This has happened three or four times over the past five or six years where uh, lists will come out, whether it's like a big property management company or a big short-term rental data company that'll say, these are the top 25 best places to invest in short-term rentals. Yeah. What they don't do is go into any kind of location detail. So for example, down here in Florida, so the 30A area or Destin or like Fort Walton Beach, you have to be south of Highway 98. You cannot mm -hmm. have to drive to the beach, but, or let, we'll take um, Navarre Beach, Florida, for example. So that's right around the corner from us. Navarre is, there's a bay and then there's like a little barrier island. It's Navarre Beach is where you want to be. Navarre mm -hmm. Beach is the barrier island where all mm. of the top performing short-term rentals are. But what people do when these lists don't provide any sort of context as to where, they'll buy on the wrong side of the bay. So they'll buy not mm. on the island. Mm -hmm. And the, the other side of the bay is very residential. People don't go to visit the bay. There are zero tourists on that side. <laughs> But right. people don't, they they just see water and think, oh, this is where I need to to buy. Uh, and so they come to us and they're like, we're not renting. And there's nothing worse than having to tell somebody that there's not really something they can do to fix it and say, actually, I mean, this is not the location that you want to be. And that's happened every year for the past three or four years. It's um, something ouch. that we didn't represent them on because we would tell them not to buy right there, but um, where they bought on the wrong side of a bay or the wrong side of 98 and there's like nothing you can really do to fix that. I, I saw a, re a list recently that listed a, a, a town and I looked into it and I dove real deep and it turns out that that town only allows, only has permits for 120 vacation homes. And this was on oh, this, wow. this town was on the top of like four different lists. And I'm sitting there like, well, yeah, if you can be one of the 120, yeah. then maybe you can do okay. You know? Yeah. Well, you know how I know the lists are bullshit because Starkville, Mississippi, where I grew up, has been on two in the past two years of best places to buy a vacation home. And I know for a fact that that is not true. Although, <laughs> uh, ironically enough, we do own a vacation home. We do have there, a vacation home there, yeah. <laughs> we have our own space when we go visit my parents. Yeah, we don't rent it. We're actually not even allowed to rent it. But, but yeah, that's a funny thing. So it's an actual second home for you yes, guys. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay. Did you know there's actually a company that will help you find and purchase your first or next short-term rental? 
The Short Term Shop is the premier short-term rental acquisition company. They have a team of realtors with tons of experience, and most of them actually own their own properties as well. They are the best in the business and would be happy to help you with your next purchase. You can find them at theshorttermshop.com. Brokered by EXP. Theshorttermshop.com. Well, as someone who makes lists, I apologize, but I'll also (laughs) say that I don't make, I have never made a short-term rental list. So I will, uh, I'm, I'm innocent there, but I will say that like the point of these lists are not to say like the whole place is good. It's to help you like narrow down your search. That is So if you want to, uh, look at these lists, Think about how you're using them. They are not an endorsement of every property in that town. They are just like, there's probably some good stuff in this town. You got to go find, you know, the the diamond in the rough there. Not everything is going to work for you, even during yeah. great times in the housing market. Yeah, you're right about that. They are in control of their own destiny. And you should use any of that stuff. Lists, calculators, all of these as a guide and not as gospel. But I do want to segue exactly. into another another topic for you, Dave, real quick. So have you, let's talk about the housing market in general, not rents, like the actual sales of properties, because that's been a big topic over the course oh, yeah. of the year. I've watched more CNBC than I have the rest of my life combined, just trying to watch that's the market and learn. <laughs> <laughs> so what do you, what do you think about what's happened this year? Like the big thing that I am not a data person. I am just a real estate agent. But what I've seen and all combined with what I've read is that less homes were sold. And I think this was in Wall Street Journal. Less homes were sold in 2023 than in the last 15 years. So since about like 2000. That sounds right. Yep. Mm -hmm. So everybody's like, I'm waiting for the crash. I'm waiting for the crash. But it happened right under our noses. It has crashed. So I'd love to hear your thoughts on, on all this. Yeah, I think that's a great point. Um, I won't get too nerdy into this, but when you talk about a quote unquote market um, in economics, there's two components of that. There is price and then there's also quantity. Um, And so when most people or the media looks at crash, quote unquote, they look at only the price. They don't look at the quantity of how many things are sold. So when you hear that housing is in a recession, um, it actually is. I think that it is. And it's possible for housing to be in a recession, even without a uh, prices declining, which is exactly what we're seeing. Home prices or home sales volume, the total numbers of home sales have gone down about 50% since 2021. And so if you just think about the economic impact of that, it's just massive, right? Like obviously for... Uh, people in your industry, every real estate agents or loan officers, property managers, but it also just impacts the rest of the economy too. It's estimated that housing makes up about 16% of all GDP. And so like, if you think about how this translates just into every single part of the economy, it is really dragging um, a lot of parts of the US economy. And so I do think we've seen the bottom of it is my hope. We're starting to see towards the last couple of weeks of 2023, things starting to move in a better direction. And I expect 24 will be better in terms of home sales volume, but we've got a long way to go to get back to like a normal, healthy housing market. And my gut is that it's not going to happen. We're not going to get all the way back in the coming year. All the way back to 22, because that was not healthy either, right? Uh, All the way back to healthy in general, I suppose. 
Yeah. Um, it like existing home sales. I, I think it's an average over the last, you know, couple of decades is usually somewhere around 5 million, um, in a, in a year. And, uh, five and a half million in some years, but we are now below 4 million. So we would need to get up, you know, 30% um, to get back to pre-pandemic levels, which is, I think, what would be normal. So somewhere between five and five and a half million. And to put us at 2021, 20, 2020, 2021, that would be like another, like 60% from where we're at right now, right? The, yeah, exactly. It would. So, I mean, they peaked in 2021 at about 6.6 6 million. Mm. So yeah, that's, 60% higher than it is right now. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So, so I don't think we're getting back there, nor does it need to for the no. housing market to get healthy. Um, but, you know, if we could get back to the average of, you know, between 2016 and 2020, for example, that would probably look a lot more normal to most people. I'm seeing a lot of that as perspective too, though, especially even with like vendors. Cause again, as a landlord, I'm constantly calling people to replace siding and fix windows and such. And, and the perspective is not quite there for them yet. They're still kind of living on that gravy train per, uh, mentality where the screw you. If you don't hire me, there's 16 other guys right behind you. But really? the truth is, is this kind of, they're not anymore. You know, like the 16 guys aren't behind me anymore, you know? So I think there's a little bit of perspective there that we're waiting for just the gen. And I don't mean, I don't mean to pick on my vendors and contractors. I love them. But <laughs> no, no. The American but I, public I get in what general, you mean. Yeah. I think they kind of need, we need this thing to kind of shake out. It's it's too much. It's not enough time in between the not the craziness and what it is now. Oh, it's enough time. It's plenty of time. <laughs> well, it's not for me because you know when I'm dealing with these people, they they don't realize that the gravy train has left town, and I'm just like, uh, dude, you can't charge me ten thousand dollars to do that dumb little job like you could two years ago. Um, but do you think they're just they're just making less money right now and just kind of accepting that until they're forced to lower their prices? I think they haven't gotten the memo yet, and it's still like with the vendors anyway. But uh, um, it, it's <laughs> coming. I think it's coming. It's starting to get there where they're answering their phone a little bit more, which is cool. And, that, and again, that's what <laughs> yeah, I do on yeah, a day to day good. basis. It's hard to find people to do yeah. stuff for you, so. That was that was a big downside of 20 and 21 for me was you couldn't get anybody to do anything at all. And, and now I'm yeah. finally starting to see that come around, which is which is very I can breathe again. It's really nice. Uh, but anyway, let me ask you about that five percent number on the gross rents. Uh, 23. Do you have any recollection of what it was predicted to be uh, before 23 started? I, I don't. I think most people were expecting it to be maybe even be a little bit. Higher. I personally thought it might be a little bit lower. Um, I, I thought maybe like three or four percent. Um, but um, you know, I think there has been what I would call a pull forward, uh, basically meaning that rents grew in the span of maybe two years and what they would normally do in five years. Mm -hmm. And so I do think even if you know we had five percent rent this coming year that rent is going to remain around average or even below average for the next few years because it just went so high so fast. I don't necessarily think it's going to go down. Rent is very sticky. Um, even when periods when housing prices go down, rent rarely goes down. Um, and so I don't think it's necessarily going to go down. But when I underwrite rental properties these days, I'm not assuming 5%. I'd rather assume 2 or 3%. If I'm wrong and it's higher, that's great. 
Avery, how do I justify that between the long terms and the short terms? Obviously, it's a completely different animal. It's almost like uh, disposable income versus mandatory income. Uh, yeah. So where, where do you, is there a correlation there between short-term rents and long-term rents? That's most certainly not a me question. That would be oh. a Dave question. <laughs> uh, a correlation in terms of uh, growth rates for, for the two of them? Well, in other words, uh, long-term rentals is a little bit easier pr to predict because it's a necessity, right? Right, so yes. Where, where does that come in with the short terms and, the, and the, I guess, for lack of a better way to put it, you know, funny money? <laughs> yeah, I think um, I, it's, it is much harder to predict. And I'm, I'm not as knowledgeable about short-term rental demand. Uh, in long-term rentals, there's this metric called household formation, uh, or the total number of households. Um, and that's a really reliable number for, for forecasting rent. Um, and so we have something there where I think when you talk about short-term rental data, it's kind of hard to aggregate those numbers because like all the numbers come from either Airbnb or VRBO and there's no like reliable government or like university level statistic that like measures short-term rental demand. Um, and so it's just a little bit harder to, to measure. Um, and my guess is that because it's not a necessity, like you said, short-term rentals, in my mind, are much more closely related to the hospitality industry, like hotels, than they are to long-term rentals, just in terms of like how they perform in different economic climates. Um, and so uh, that's kind of what I would look at. That's just a guess, though. I think if you started to look at like hotel data and see how much people are traveling, that might be a better predictor of short-term rental demand. I want to segue back into the real estate sales market. Luke, you you jerked the wheel from me. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> back into... Let's go back. Yeah. Okay. You're driving. Back, okay. Back to the sales. So many analysts up until three or four weeks ago were projecting that we wouldn't see close to a six and a half percent interest rate until like this time next year, the end of 2024. Now, and, and we kind of alluded to this earlier, but I wanted to touch on it again, because what is the rhetoric being used in the media a lot of times and what the media is saying is often more important than what the rate actually is in terms of consumer behavior. Mm -hmm. And I think now that we're in, like, we've had our first little nugget of good news. The Fed says, okay, we're not raising anymore. We don't think we're probably going to drop some next year and interest rates shot down like almost a point and a half to mm -hmm. a number that they that analysts predicted we wouldn't get to until the end of next year. So what do you think that that is going to do to the real estate sales market at the beginning of this year? Okay, great. I have so many questions. <laughs> there are so many things to say about this. One, uh, the I just want to make sure everyone knows the Fed doesn't set mortgage rates. It's exactly. much more closely tied to the bond market. And the bond, bond yields have dropped really dramatically, and that's brought down mortgage rates. I just want to caveat that just because the Fed might lower rates next year does not mean bond yields are going to stay low or will go lower. They could go higher. And there's actually a lot of logic that they might go higher. Usually bond yields and recession risk are inversely correlated, meaning they move in opposite directions. And so if people are feeling the economy is getting better, which is basically what the Fed is signaling, they're saying the economy is getting better. And so we're willing to lower, or, um, they're, sorry, they're saying that they, 
basically they feel more confident in the economy. And so when that happens, that usually means that investors want to take risk. They pull their money out of bonds, they put them elsewhere in the economy, and that pushes rates back up. So I think we don't know where rates are going to go just yet. My personal belief is that they will probably stay in the sixes for the most of next year, but they will probably be pretty volatile. So that's just, I just want to caveat that because I know on in the media and especially in social media with influencers, everyone's like, rates are going down. They're going to continue going down. See, now's a great time to buy. I'm not saying it's not, but I just, it's not guaranteed. So the second thing is what happens if rates stay lower? The, the obvious answer is that demand comes back to the market. People are going to want to buy houses, and that is going to increase um, a lot of activity and competition in the market. To me, the like million-dollar question about the housing market in 2024 is if, if rates stay low, does it bring more supply and inventory back to the market? Because when rates went up, everyone was like, yeah, it's going to pull demand out of the market. That part was obvious, and that's what happened. But I don't think most people, myself included, really thought about how that would impact supply. When rates went up, people just stopped selling their homes. And so now, when rates go down, does that mean they're going to start selling their homes? We don't know. Like This is a very unprecedented thing. I hope so, because that would be the best thing for the market. Like If we saw an increase in demand and an increase in supply, when that happens, Prices can stay relatively stable. They'll probably go up a little bit and we'd see more volume. And to me, that's a healthy housing market. And so I'm hoping that's what happens. But I do think there is this chance that demand goes up and people still don't want to sell their homes. And we're going to get back into where we were, you know, middle of 2022, when there was a lot of competition for homes um, and prices are starting to go back up. Yeah, I, I agree with that. And I've had, I've made that point a few times and I've had people counter me with, well, if a lot of people start selling their homes, then that will flood the market with supply. But what they don't consider is that the majority of people who are going to list a home are not listing it right now because they're about to become a buyer. So mm -hmm. a home seller in most cases is a net zero to the market because they then become a buyer. So um, right now, again, according to Wall Street Journal, 82% of mortgages are below 5%, 91% are below 6%. So it's not worth it to people to list right now when they've got a mortgage at, you know, no let's way. say five. But if the if the rates get down to six, they might be more apt to list because it's a, mm -hmm. a smaller jump from five to six. So I kind of lean towards what you're saying is that what we'll probably see is we will see a bunch of people listing and they're probably going to become buyers after that, which is why they're not listing now. So I don't really see that helping supply a whole lot. It will help activity, but in terms of like getting a little more of a surplus of supply, I don't know. Like Luke and I, for example, not to bust you out, Luke, on your on some of your apartment buildings, but we got one one apartment building that we want to sell, but at the number we would have to sell it for for it to make sense to another investor right now, it doesn't. We're waiting it's for the rates to go yeah, lower right. before. So, yeah. well, no, I mean, none of them do. None of them, you know, really. I mean, it'd be very hard pressed to have anything that was purchased in the last three years make sense right now, you know, especially yep. in, the, in the larger property space. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I just think like, I think this idea of like, quote unquote, flooding the market with supply, like, when does that happen? That just doesn't happen. You know, it's not like everyone, you know, demand can come back into the market quickly in my mind. There are probably a lot of people who are waiting on the sidelines. 
I don't think there are like all the, you know, selling a home is like a pretty big decision for people to make. And I just don't think it like happens all that quickly. I think what we'll see is a gradual increase in supply, which is good. The only time there's a, a flood of inventory is when there's forced selling, when people can't make their mortgage payments like there was in, in 2008. But for many reasons, which we don't need to get into, if you want to, we can. But for many reasons, <laughs> we're in a very different situation than we were then. Um, and so I think it's likely that there's going to be this combination of things, right? Like the, on one hand, we're going to see rates come down and that's going to make it more, you know, appealing to sell. And on the other hand, people just get used to it. You know, at a certain point, like you might wait a year to sell your home, but if you want to sell your home, you're just going to do it, you know? Luke, in, in a year, you're going to not even remember that you used to pay less than $30 for shampoo. Like, you're just going to be doing that and you're not even going to yeah, notice it. Yeah, that was my point. Exactly. And yeah. so, like, I think at a certain point, people just move on. You know, maybe not investors because you're in it for dollars and cents. But home sellers, at a certain point, you just you get on with your life. And I think that's, like, going to happen. It might take a little while, but I think that's why that doesn't happen in a flood. Like, it just happens slowly and that's why the the market's probably not gonna magically get better even if rates drop you know another 50 or 100 basis points did we so take are it? you go ahead I was, I was really trying to beat you to open right, my mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um would you say as an investor then that now would be a good time or not so good of a time to go ahead and maybe try and buy a couple of things before things go crazy? Or are we waiting till rates go down? Or is there really even a, a best answer to that question? I mean, I always tell people not to time the market, but I am going to try and time the market oh. uh, myself. I, I actually think right now, like the next two or three months might be like a nice little window because you see lower competition right now, especially in the winter. Um, you know, the couple markets I'm looking in, there's still price cuts, there's still negotiation. I think the combination of rate down a little bit when we hit the normal spring selling season and buying season, I think it's going to pick up in terms of competition. I don't necessarily know yet if prices are going to explode. I think there's a chance, not explode. I think there's a chance that they grow pretty significantly next year. But that's not why I'm doing it. I'm doing it because I think right now it might be a, a little reprieve from all the competition that there might be for the rest of the year if rates stay in the mid sixes. That's what I was hoping you would say. <laughs> <laughs> I I will tell you, I am trying to buy stuff uh, in the next couple of months. Yeah, tell Luke that. I'm trying to buy stuff too, but he keeps cock blocking me. No, I'm trying to buy. <laughs> I, made two offers, I made two offers yesterday, but there's, you know, I just, they, they're not landing. Not the same things you want me to offer on, but. <laughs> <laughs> did you get them? I did not. No, I've got one. I've been. <laughs> Uh, I got one that's been killing me. I've been going back and forth with this, this seller for three or four times now. And and uh, I thought it was a no brainer yesterday. Her agent was like, yeah. her agent was like, just give her this number and she'll take it. And we sent her that number and she wanted another 20. It's a little, little uh, three wow. bedroom long-term rental. She wanted another 20 over that. I'm like, that's the number you told me to offer, you know? <laughs> uh, oh man. It's, yeah. This is just a stalemate right now. It's exactly I think, what it uh, the great stuff. But I think, I think it's like right now there still are some sellers who are willing to to negotiate. But if you start to see that competition pick up, they're not going to negotiate anymore. So I think, uh, I don't know. I'm just guessing, but I, that is what I'm doing with my money. I'll tell you that. Yeah. 
Yeah, I hope things kind of just kind of chill for a minute. I'm I'm kind of cool with the way things are right now. Yes, let's bring it down a, 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 a you know percentage or two on the interest rate. But uh, and then what about these people that that have the under three percent interest rates? We basically took them out of the market altogether. They're never going to sell. They're going to be gone forever. Yeah, you know the average the average right now, Avery, you just gave some stats about how many people are under five and six percent. It's crazy, but the average is three and a half percent. So you think about fifty percent of the market has a mortgage of three and a half percent or lower. That's just, well, not 50% of all homes, 50% of all homes that have a mortgage. Um, so that's like 35% of the market, but still that's crazy. You know, like a third of the market is just going to be very tempted to stay in their house forever. And they have tons of equity. So I don't know. I don't have any data support. This is just a theory that I just think people are going to start refinancing when rates go down or doing a probably taking a HELOC actually so they can keep their low mortgage rate get a HELOC and you know renovate their home to the home that they want rather than moving there was a period of time where three and a half was normal and now yeah. looking back on it even though it, it was really you know in the grand scheme of things it was yesterday it's like crazy to think about that and so that's my thing is it's too much shock to the system too many different times um, Avery, yeah. what does uh, 24 look like in the world of real estate sales? So I think we have, and again, I'm just a real estate agent and this is just my two cents, 1.3 cents is we see an increase in home sales every March. March is always huge. That's for closings, mm -hmm. which means we start to see a lot more buyer activity start in January. And then, you know, they start to close in March. Hmm. We see that every year. Everybody knows buying in the spring is like the typical like high season of buying. It's also a really good time to buy. It's a really good time to close on a short-term rental in January or February because your first mortgage payment, if you close in January, is not going to be due until March 1st. And unless you're buying mm -hmm. in like a Colorado-type ski market, most short-term rental markets will start hitting their high season in March. So you have the shortest amount of time between closing date and actually starting to make good money. So oh, I think that's the best time of year to close. But so we typically start seeing more activity around then. I think we've got a little bit more kind of mixed in there with the rates dropping as fast as they did to where they are now, uh, to where I think that we'll probably see higher activity than normal starting in January. And then, you know, once we get past the holidays, you know, everybody's concentrated their, both their time and attention and their money elsewhere until we're past the holidays. So I think that we're going to see uh, a, a good pickup in the springtime. Hard to say how much, but I do agree with you, Dave, that again, trying to time the markets, like trying to catch a falling knife. But right now I do think there's still that lack of competition that gives you the ability to maybe get a better deal negotiation wise. Like I know as soon as I saw mm -hmm. those interest rates back in the mid sixes, I texted my agent in this market that Luke's trying to not let me buy in. And I was like, Hey, <laughs> find me a deal before everybody else jumps back in. And don't um, tell Luke. <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to just like get a really good one and just present him with it and be like, yeah. we have to buy this. Bye. I already closed it. Here's the address. Take care. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> here, here are the keys. Yeah. You, you deal <laughs> Send with me it. A yeah. Check. yeah. Yeah. So I think we're, I think we are going to see some back to multiple offer situations, at least for a while. Uh, as 
I think it's going to take interest rates going down a little bit further to get there. And I don't think that's going to happen overnight like this last point and a half did. But I think that as things continue to trend down, we're going to see more multiple offer situations again, not like it was in 2022, but obviously significantly more than like now. All right. Yeah. Well, yeah. On the rent side of things, I'm optimistic. I'm going to go ahead and put all my uh, my, my short-term rentals. Uh, the headline on all my listings uh, for the next month is going to be $30 shampoo special. And I'm going to keep my, print, my prices as <laughs> high always, as possible. You've always spent that much on shampoo, though, even when well, shampoo was, is like two yeah, bucks. This was cheap shampoo. I, I was blown away. I don't. I thought it was a typo. But either way, um, if shampoo is 30 bucks and my rents are looking pretty good, I think, for 20 24 and uh I've you know I've had no problem so far uh, getting a few bookings coming in so I'm happy um across the board as far as rents are concerned but uh, uh Dave anything else on on the way out and uh, uh and how do we find you Oh thank you so much I appreciate it I uh, appreciate you having me uh you can always find me on Instagram where I'm at the data deli or I do have a podcast where I talk about market data called on the market Fantastic podcast. If you like numbers, spreadsheets, Dave's your guy. And uh, On the Market is a wonderful uh, place to, to to hang out. And, of course, Avery's got a podcast, The Short-Term Show. And, uh, Avery, anything you want to say on the uh, the way out the door? Uh, everyone, please email Luke and tell him to let me buy this thing that I keep being cri cryptic about. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> at theshorttermshop.com. All right. Well, listen, you guys are awesome. I appreciate your time. Uh, happy, happy renting 2024 and uh, don't overthink it. <laughs>